Welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And in today's episode, I have an incredible chat with an old friend of mine, Sebastian Kinley. And we could have chatted for hours, actually. I had to cut it off at about an hour 40 because I thought he'd better get to bed as he was like about 10 p.m. in Germany. Uh, and, and I think next time I'll, I'll chat with him on a couch somewhere and we'll just share a couple of beers and uh, it might be a fairly long episode again. Uh, he, he's an incredibly open and honest and, and just truly authentic guy that, that, that was part of the reasons I really enjoyed this episode. He, he There was... It wasn't like he was hiding anything. He, he's completely open book, and and I really enjoyed that. That we really got great insight into the the mind of a, a champion. You know, he he truly knows who he is and, and what he wants in his life. And um, I just thought there were so many great takeaways and insights into this in this one. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, let me know your thoughts. Uh, um, you can tell me your thoughts on via social media and just get in touch with me on Instagram or. Um, on bennettendurance.com or Twitter or whatever you're using. Um, or you can even give me any review on the app that you're using. All of that is really helpful to me. Um, if you're enjoying it, please subscribe or share it. That'd be wonderful. You'd be really helping me out. Enjoy this one, guys. I really did. Before we start, I've got to give a quick shout out to my friends at Athletic Greens that helped make this show possible. I love this company and I love their all-in-one daily drink. It's become a part of my morning routine. You see, when I retired from professional sport, I thought, oh, great, I, I won't have to worry about any more injuries and sickness would be a thing of the past. But as it would happen, I felt that like my immune system decided to retire as well. So I was looking for something that was easy to use and that would support my immunity, boost my energy and just help with my recovery and my gut health. And, and I found that with Athletic Greens. And honestly, I can't believe a green drink sourced from Whole Foods can actually taste so good. Personally, I love it. And there's no hassle. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's a highly absorbable powder that takes seconds to mix with water. So there's no clumpiness to deal with. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health, and vitamin C and zinc nitrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. Look, even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional needs, but that's where Athletic Greens can really help. Their daily drink is like a nutritional insurance for your body. It's NSF certified for sport and there's no harmful chemicals, no GMOs, no funny additives. Honestly, I can't recommend Athletic Greens enough. Whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system or address your gut health, now's a perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. There's a great offer going on now for you to give a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free daily travel packs with your first purchase. That's a $79 added value. And Athletic Greens is delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. All right, today's guest is one of the greatest Ironman triathletes of all time. Known as an Uber cyclist early in his career, but that all changed in more recent years to now he's known as a complete triathlete with weapons on the bike and the run. He's passionate, disciplined, and dedicated, and these attributes have made him what he is today, and that's the most successful Ironman athlete in the world, or well, one of them, in this past decade. A few of his career highlights include winning the 70.3 World Championship title twice, uh, three-time European Ironman champion, four times on the podium at Kona Ironman World Championships, and the big highlight of his career was winning that world title in 2014. 
He's one of the most down-to-earth athletes in the professional field, and he's been a mate of mine for about a decade, and I've always enjoyed watching his success. So welcome, and thank you for joining me on Be With Champions. Mr. Sebastian Kinley, how are you, mate? Thanks, Greg, to hear <laughs> those sweet words out of your mouth, um, <laughs> being a legend yourself. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. No, of course, mate. Where are you at the moment? Uh, like pretty much everybody uh, right now in uh, on planet Earth at home, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you're in Germany. Yeah, in Germany, in uh, in Mühlacker, that's a smaller smaller city close to uh, to Stuttgart, between Stuttgart and and Karlsruhe. Yeah. Are you allowed to get out at all? Or are you guys completely in isolation at the moment? No, it was it was really good actually in in Germany. We uh, the the first week when the whole shit went down, <laughs> uh, we have still been in in Spain in Fuerteventura on the Canary Island, mm -hmm. and there we have been in full isolation, and it was pretty bad. But in in Germany, of course, we had a lot of restrictions, but we have always been allowed to go outside to to work out and. Uh, Mate, I mean, just this one week, um, staying staying in our hotel room, and we had a pretty comfy ho hotel room. I have to say that um, I will never commit a crime that brings me any jail time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. I love to to be outside, and uh, yeah, I think I <clears throat> I learned to love the sport from a whole different perspective. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was going to fly down to Australia with the whole family. So we have a two-year-old and a three-month-old. And then they said, yeah, when you get to, to Sydney, you'll have two weeks in quarantine at a hotel. And it, it'll be a five-star hotel on Sydney Harbour, but it's two weeks where you can't leave your room. I was like, we're not going. We're not doing that. So, I, you know, for us, we've been fortunate here in South Florida where um, – you really can get out and, and train a bit if you want. And uh, look, every most things are shut down from swimming pools and you know parks and tennis courts or whatever that you might get used to using. But um, generally speaking, compared to like you said, Spain, I think we've been very very fortunate here, and we can still get out. But I think we all get a little stir crazy. It's almost like we just sort of when's the, when's the world going to kick into gear again, and we can kind of look forward and and and, and get going again. Do you, are you? feeling like that is with uh, with your training and that kind of things at the moment i mean of course you know you know the, how it is as a professional athlete it's the first time in the last 15 years where i don't have a goal or a race coming up you know and of course it's um, at the beginning it was a little bit difficult uh, to be honest but i think that's what it's one of the attributes you you're gonna have to have is to to be uh, able to adapt um quickly to to all different kinds of situations and um one of my favorite sayings is always if you uh, always wait for better conditions you never get anything done and um i always have to remind me for example when i'm uh, swimming in a crowded public pool and i start to complain and at the end, I get out of the water. It's just, you know, I just lost time. And um, I want to look at this in the, in the same way. It's just, um, obviously, it's it's difficult. But but at the same time, it's also also a chance, you know. I mean, it's good to to have a little bit of a mental break and uh, don't have any races, don't have any 
any traveling and and whatsoever so it's also um, it can be quite refreshing as well i mean all of that what you just said makes you the champion you are i mean you touched on one thing the adaptability of champions and i had a guest on a couple of weeks ago uh mark weber i don't know if you follow formula one motorsport but he he drove drove for yeah uh, motorsport fan yeah and one of the things that you know we would we were discussing is you know aging in sport and and how the greats can adapt you know and we talked about roger federer and how you got to keep reinventing yourself with whatever's thrown at you you've got to be able to um to adapt exactly what you said and, and i think that's the mentality of a true champion that ability to go this is not how i want it <laughs> this is not what i'm used to but i think the quicker you can adapt to your new reality is, is what separates you from from the rest of the world and and what and the reason why we look at a resume like yours, there, there's part of this show. What I love about it is is just chatting with guys like yourself to really get an insight as to what are the big difference makers between being one of the greatest in history to being or just being good. And it's that kind of mentality that that's what I love. And you, you touched on like don't complain in a crowded pool and all this. I had to live with a mantra because I tended to complain a little bit too much about everything. It was like complain less do more complain less do more it became my like little mantra just stop complaining and take control of what what you can and um and then the final thing you touched on there was the uh looking at this as an opportunity um and 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 that might be adapting to the change or working on things that maybe you need to or you know areas of the your life that you can control um and i think that's also the mindset of a champion. So I'm really impressed that you've just come straight out of the gun. We're two minutes in and boom, you've just hit me with, with all these quotable quotes. So I, I love it, mate. And and I think the hard thing with what we're, we're at is not knowing what's happening for 2020 or even 2021 or the sport going forward and but still trying to keep that, I won't call it a positive mindset, but at least a neutral mindset. Um, is that how you feel? 100%. I mean, that's how I learned to to organize my, my whole life, you know. It's, I'm, I mean, you make at the beginning of a year or even, I mean, for you as an Olympic athlete, you probably even make a plan for four years and, mm. and, then, and then you break it down. You have races every year, then, you know, okay, these are my preparation races and um that's what i want to do in training until then and then you're gonna start to make a plan from day to day and i know a lot of people that they freak out if they have to change during a day when it comes to plan for me it's um i think that's one of the of the good things i've never been one of the 100 percent dedicated athletes to to say so it's I, I I was never like the guy who was freaking out if he uh, if you miss like one training session or whatsoever you know um, I always I always try to uh, to stick to a plan of course but I was not never yeah really freaking out if something was not going according to to the plan and so I think um, right now that actually can be quite quite beneficial um, and. A lot of athletes they get so uh, yeah they get so narrow minded when it comes to to their plan and they think everything else than than the plan is is something negative 
but I think it's it's very important. You know, I've done <laughs> I've done quite a, a lot of interviews and, and and podcasts and stuff like that. Of course, uh, during this time, it's the only uh, only way to be valuable to to a lot of sponsors. And of course, everybody keeps uh, keep asking me uh, keeps asking me how do you stay motivated um, during this time? And I think the most important thing is you don't have to stay motivated. You don't have to stay a hundred percent on the gas the whole time that's actually for me it's always been the fastest way to to disaster is mm -hmm. to be uh, on the throttle um full gas all the time um it's more important to know what you can improve now and what you can work on right now and then you want to be fit probably in november maybe in december maybe for february nobody knows but for sure not for june or july for some random swift races or strava comps and um, uh, i think that's that's always important to to know you know i've seen some athletes when i was in Fuerteventura, and it was just two days in and they were freaking out because they they haven't been able to swim for two days and you know i, I uh, from that perspective i i think it's it was some sort of a dream like nobody was allowed to swim for a month in the whole yeah world. i think that should be the rule i i was always hoping that would be the rule i think i <laughs> yeah, think nobody should be nobody should be allowed to train full stop for six months and then let's do a race and let's just see who's <laughs> the most naturally talented <laughs> yeah that's I mean, that's the way I, I look at it sometimes. And so therefore, I think, of course, it's, it's important to, uh, to, uh, to have something to work on. And I know, I know a lot of things I want to be good at uh, in like two, three weeks from, from now on. And I know a lot of things I want to work on. But, you know, I'm far from like 100% uh, fit, you know. And I think... Um, yeah, that's when you when you talked about you know what can you still perform at a certain age, and that's something you definitely need to to learn over the years that you can't be fit the whole year. And um, of course, you always think there there's just the next step. You know, I mean, you can improve. You always can improve. You always can continue to improve. But at one point, it's not true anymore. And also. It's not. It's not a straight line. It's not always going uphill. You know, there will always be some. Uh, uh, it's more. Yeah, it's more like 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 stairs. You you're climbing, and it, you you stay at one plateau for some time, and then you're gonna make the next step. But um, I think that's important to to know that uh, you you can like work on whatever your VO two max mm -hmm. now. And expect it to be uh, up there for a whole six months or something like that. It's at one point you need to to give your your mind some rest, and I think this is the right time. I think there's a lot of maturity in that. Like there's a, that patience that comes from being in the sport, and, and and to some degree maybe having the success that you already have. There's a there's a calmness in the way you can maybe approach this compared to a lot of maybe younger guys are like oh i've only got this one chance to try and be a professional athlete and 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 now i don't even feel like i can be that you know it's kind of 100 percent. and i'm i mean for a lot of people it's actually true i mean mm. that's for sure with um uh, with the level of success there comes the the financial aspect of it and of course it's uh 
it's easier to be in my position and um, say like, oh, it doesn't really matter if I don't race for for six months or whatever, because also my sponsors, they know um, there there's there's more value than just, you know, being present mm -hmm. at, at races. It's mm -hmm. a lot different for a lot of the the younger uh, upcoming athletes and i totally uh, totally understand yeah. um, i mean uh, on that i i really felt when all this happened um i truly I, i felt for all of you guys that are racing honestly yourself i don't care if you, if you're one of the more well-known but i felt for all the professional athletes to some degree and anybody in any kind of sports in the you know losing the season and and you know in a in a kind of self selfish way, I kind of was like, oh, I'm glad I'm not a professional athlete right now because that trying to keep that momentum going. But one thing that you've sort of touched on is that having a plan, but being flexible with it. And that's what I've always said. A greatest plan is, you know, something that is, you can be flexible with. And I, I used to sit down, you know, flying home from a race and either I was excited because I'd won or I was disappointed because I lost, but either way I'd sit down and I'd be on the plane and I'd be hashing out a new training program or, or designing how I want to approach, you know, the next 12 week block or whatever it was. And again, all of that was pen to paper or, or just typing on the computer. You know what I mean? It was like a spreadsheet, but it was just numbers. But when the day-to-day -day reality came of how I felt each day and what was happening and, It, it was like you have to be flexible with that day. You have to be able to have the maturity to walk away and go, you know what? No, I'm just not feeling it today. Or what I often would do is if it was going out for a run and I really felt crappy, I'd be like, at least put the running shoes on and start running and give it a few minutes. And then if it doesn't work, let's just go home and just put the feet up and, and, and take the day off. But that comes again. I think that's kind of like a maturity side of things that 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 you get with age and and like you said embracing this time a little bit for a bit of physical downtime but also that mental and emotional downtime you know to be able to kind of go i mean i had alistair brownlee on oh, a number of weeks ago now and and he said greg i'm just really embracing this as a time to just turn off my brain go for the occasional mountain bike do a little run i'll jump on zwift maybe once or twice a week just to beat myself up but really is like I'm just using it as a real just downtime. Keep the body moving, but let's turn the brain off a little bit. Let's turn off the emotional intensity that comes with trying to be the best in the world. Just turn all that down a little bit and let's just embrace moving and, and why and why you did it to start with. You know, it's like you enjoyed riding your bike as a kid and now it's like just going back to those sort of basics of why you did it, you know? 100%. I mean... The other day I was I was out riding also just my cross bike, no power meter on and oh, it was just, you know, awesome because um, especially uh, if you always compete, you always try to measure yourself, you always compare yourself to last week, to last year, to this race. You uh, also with all this social media, you know, you see the uh, the other guys pushing this and that number. <laughs> you look at the the what data on on Swift or whatsoever, and then and then you always compare, and it's always stress. And um, you know, <laughs> I think that it's. I mean, I've always tried to keep that balance, but right now it's I think a little bit easier because you don't have to to stress out, and um, therefore, yeah, it's the same for me. Is um, I, I love the sport for a lot of reasons, and at the beginning of my career, you know, I was this. Yeah, probably a little bit of an angry kid with this chip on the shoulder and always try to prove people uh, wrong and uh, 
try to prove myself, of course. And um, I mean, the, the only reason why I was training was because I wanted to to kick the other kid's ass in the race. And that was <laughs> the only reason. And um, there was nothing like, I, I, I would say I liked 15 or 20% of the training and 80% of it was just just because I wanted to win. There was no no other reason to to be honest. It's I, I never enjoyed training. Um and now it's it's a lot different. I mean over the years I just realized how much I also love the the lifestyle and how much um I love the travel, how much I love the the culture and the people in our sport and be able to to hang out with all these um mm. these these amazing uh yeah humans and i know i agree uh, with you i think you and i wanted the same i I think i started out in the sport it was the the pats on the back and i remember talking to somebody and they said a lot of guys like sports with scoreboards we like to just beat up on each other it's not so much about self-improvement when i I had helen jenkins on on a few episodes ago and my wife says the same laura bennett who's also as you know a professional ex-professional triathlete and and they were (laughs) i just just need to to interrupt you here real quick because uh, just like three days ago, I actually watched um, the 2008 and 2009 um, Hai uh, Triathlon. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, and, yeah. Well, uh, she, what did she won? She won that in 07, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she was yeah. still she was still up in in the front yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it was quite quite funny. I was like, ah, cool. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. But every now and then, it's nice for us to even reminisce and watch some of those things. I must admit, but I, uh, you know, she was an outstanding athlete. I got to have my own wife on this podcast one of these days. But, but it was funny when I had Helen on, and and she was all about, you know, and I just felt like I was improving. So it was really nice just to have, get that little bit of feedback. I was like. Yeah, I just wanted to beat up on my mates at the local Balmoral Triathlon Club and then I got better and then I wanted to beat up on those guys and, and you just kept progressing. And I just love those those pats on the back and you call it like the, you know, your chip on your shoulder or I think as a as a young guy, and it's probably the same for a lot of women out there too, so I shouldn't be so generalized, but it's kind of like those teenage years can be it's a little bit of insecurities. You're just trying to figure yourself yeah. out and and somebody just says Hey, you're 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 pretty good at something. Suddenly, you're like, oh, I yeah. like that. I like that. I want more of that. <laughs> so I totally get at what you're saying. And 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 the training hard, it's like it, it's painful as hell. It's it's painful and it hurts. And and I've often said I didn't. I don't love swimming, biking, or running. I love the sport and the community, and I love doing something really, really well. But I don't love. Like I'm not, there's a lot of athletes out there that are listening going, Greg, you're crazy. You did, you know, 30 something years in the sport of triathlon. Yes, I did. But I did it because I was trying to better myself at something that potentially I could be the best in the world, even if it was just for a moment in time, a snapshot, if you like. <laughs> I could have those brief moments perhaps. But it was like, I just love that feeling of trying to be the best at something. And uh, when I retired, that was one of the harder things for me. It was like that okay, now what do I want to try and be the best in the world? Now I want to be the best podcast host in the world. So here I am, I am 20 episodes in and I'm on my way and I feel like I'm a 17-year-old kid again, you know, starting triathlon. I'm in this new world I'm in. So I totally get where, you, where you're coming from with, with all of that. And I just want to touch on one other thing that you mentioned and that was looking at everybody's Zwift and, and, and power meters and, and all of that data. I don't know about you, but 
if it came down to just numbers and power meters, I seriously wouldn't have had a career because oh, the numbers that these guys can do on the- <laughs> Same with you. I mean, you know, in 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 every in every test you do, like I mean, it's probably the same for you. We we do like a ton of different kinds of tests, and you always hope for this one number that tells you you are the most talented guy in the world. You have like the insane numbers, and you're gonna win no matter what uh, every single race in your career. But for me, I always, I mean, I've never been that guy. I've always had, I would say, decent numbers. But uh, compared to some of the the guys out there, um, on just like pure number comparison, I would have had no chance whatsoever. I mean, Blumenfeld's VO2 max over 90. Yeah, I had him on the show a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, mine is probably 78 or something like that. Yeah, I think... 78 to 82 is about most of us, and that depends on our rest, where we are, whether we got yeah. tested at altitude, all of that kind of stuff. For and sure. it's the same with Lionel, you know. I mean, just from a pure number standpoint, it should be impossible for me to beat him in any race. But um, that that just shows how uh, how difficult it is. You're not a, a robot or something like that, and on day X you just press start and. Uh, you're going to perform like you always did or whatsoever. It's just different. And I mean, you're probably the same as I'm from <laughs> what I know from you is um, in training, I can only push myself so far. You know, I always try to, to I mean, on, on the important sessions, I always try to push myself as, as hard as I can. But compared to race, it's still nothing um what i will be able to to deliver on on a race day i can suffer so much more if there is a real reason to do it <laughs> mm. I, I went through a period in my career where i think i turned into a trainer more than a racer i was yeah. i was in a training squad and um very competitive training squad and i left a lot of phenomenal races in training and and they didn't show up in racing you know i just whether it was emotionally i wasn't ready for racing or whatever it was but i just I think I got to races quite often, almost tired, get to the hotel, <laughs> felt like going to sleep for three days, just have a break from the intensity of the training. And and then I came back out of the sport many years later when I started to self-coach and find events that I was truly passionate about and and started dialing my training actually back a bit just to get ready for those key races. And yeah, it was funny. I was... Um, 2011 was my, probably my last really big win and I was just shy of 40 so it was late 39s and I um I won the high V triathlon for those that don't know it was a big it was a big um the high V is a supermarket chain in the midwest of US and they put on they sponsored this big race and it was originally an ITU draft legal race and then they changed it to non-drafting and this race had 88 corners in it and it was all power and and I just remember going, okay, I just want to win a couple of bike premiums if I can. So I finally got to the front and, and won five grand here, there, and then I managed to hold on for the win. Anyway, long story short, my power watts for the to- total race was only 290 average power. <laughs> and I was like, so I put it out on Twitter saying, look, I did the fastest bike split. Here are all the people that I raced. That They're all saying that they're riding 350 to 400 power spikes. I didn't have any of that kind of numbers. So I was kind of like, I started. I remember sitting with uh, Lance uh, Armstrong actually before before he ended up finishing sport, and we were at the the Honu seventy point three, and 
And he said, one thing I never do is share my numbers because we all just have completely different SRM files and different power meters. So it's not it's worth worthless comparing. So I know where you're coming from with that. It's like I shouldn't even be here, let alone be winning these races. I want to do one thing before we uh, we go any further. I want to just wind the clock back. Um, we've when did you sort of first? We touched on a little bit before when you were a kid and stuff. But when did you first sort of find your passion for endurance sports? I was really young, actually. Um, my uh, um, class teacher—I don't know if you have something like this in the in the US. So, um, in in fourth grade um, at primary school. We had to do this uh, school newspaper sort of thing. And you have to write down what you want to become when you're when you grown up. And uh, everybody was writing down stuff like astronaut and uh, special agent and whatsoever. And I was writing down professional triathlete. <laughs> wow. What year was that? Because triathlon, how old are you? That, 35 now. I, I was, I think I was nine years old. <laughs> and so that was like 1993 or something. And uh, and she and and then she she told me like no it it actually has to be something where you where you have can earn money for a living and make a living with it. And I think I, I um I don't want to sound cocky. I I I was the only one who actually achieved um <laughs> what she was writing down. Of course Back then, it was just a just a dream, and I think um, whenever I bring up that story, a lot of people I think tend to believe if you if you are like eight or nine years old and you you want you have that as a goal and you actually achieve it later, you have to be some kind of a fanatic and um, like whatever Rocky style grinding every day and. Um, but it's actually the, the other way around. If you do that, I think uh, you're not going to survive very long. It's, uh, I had a lot of phases where I, where I had completely different plans and sort of um, lost, lost that idea of being a professional athlete. And, but because of that, I always had enough, um, enough mental energy to, to still be able to love the sport. And I think at one point, if you... If you want it too much, it's gonna eat it eat you up. And um, so, I was very young when I started, and the sport sort of like found me as well. I mean, um, you know, I I think I was I wasn't an easy uh, an easy child. Um, my my father's a psychologist, and I'm pretty sure I had some severe ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you and the rest of the professional athletes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I definitely found my hurt there. It's and I think it's um, of course my my parents just realized that that the sport is is helping me a lot also to 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 be uh, more relaxed in in everyday life. You know, it it was just um, yeah, just. Um, uh, something to let out the steam and mm. so they, they supported um, the whole idea with the sport a lot not because they wanted me to be a professional athlete because they they just realized that it's uh, it's something good for me and um, yeah so yeah. 
therefore I had the the whole the whole support of my my parents and obviously that's very important in our sport because it's as you know it's it's uh it's not an easy easy thing to do especially my my parents didn't have a, a ton of money I had three uh, um two, one brother and two sisters and uh so yeah it wasn't wasn't all that easy at the beginning mm. It's funny you you talk about the ADHD and and almost like I think there's one common thread amongst many of the people I've had on this show is this competitiveness as a as kids you know and and not being good at it either not in terms of being you know mature about it like I remember throwing you know the ping pong bat at my brother's head because I lost you know it was this this not that's a good funny, person. That's funny because you know what? I also played ping pong, and <laughs> at uh, at our like a tournament, a city tournament where you have like the city champion. I lost in the final, also against my brother, and I completely destroyed the the um, table tennis table. <laughs> I completely destroyed it, and so um, I got kicked out of the club because of that and i think i destroyed a couple of uh, clubs before that as well <laughs> isn't it isn't it fascinating because even even laura who who you'd think is mo- one of the most laid back people out there she talks about you know i i wasn't a good person like that i didn't like to lose as a kid and and i think you know that's one of the driving forces between a, a lot of athletes you know finding their way into sport because it was a good outlet to just get rid of some of that competitive energy that you just needed to have an outlet i i love that story that's hilarious but uh what i mean you said at nine years old you wanted to be a professional triathlete but they must you must have known about the sport or, or what was the catalyst for that yeah um i mean at that time um two things came together first of all the germans had a pretty uh, strong face in the sport as well but um i mean I think that was before uh, Thomas Hellriegel actually won the first um, uh, mm. Ironman Hawaii World Championships for for the Germans. But um, we had a couple of strong athletes before that, like um, um, Thomas Dietrich. No, not Thomas. Um. <laughs> well, you had Lothar Leder. Yeah, uh, was he yeah, before? but uh, yeah. he also came came a little bit later. But we we have been at the at the local triathlon when we were visiting my my grandma, and I think. Um, like all the time with I, I was bored and therefore not <laughs> uh, not really in holiday mode. So my father read something about this triathlon in a local newspaper and we just went there to to watch the race. And I was just, it was the combination of like different things. Like the, these people, they looked like superheroes to me in their wetsuits and disc wheels and stuff like that i was just um it was just fascinating for me as a as a as a little boy and i had a an atb uh, uh bike back then and uh, i had this like uh, bar ends and even back then i realized i need to be more arrow so i took the bar ends and i put them instead of facing upwards i put them facing <laughs> downwards that I had some sort of like a, a deeper front end position. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was, I, at that day I decided I want to be a triathlete and uh, um, I tried a lot of different sports before that and never really uh, stick to anything for a long time. So 
my parents, they uh, first they said like, no, there's no way. Like the sport is really expensive. We need to buy a bike and stuff like that. It's not that's not possible. Um, but I was so motivated and so passionate about it. And then then we were really lucky because um, in Breton, that's the next um, yeah bigger town from where where I grew up. Um, yeah, Norman Stadler and um, uh, Thomas Hellriegel often uh, trained there, and so yeah, for me it was I was hooked then. <laughs> mm. I, a bit like you, when I look back, starting I guess I started in about eighty six, eighty seven, and it was that same kind of turning up, and and I think it was all the fluorescent, you know, the neon colors. Everyone was in hot pinks and yellows, and these new disc wheel things, and then the aero bars came to Australia in like eighty eight, eighty nine, and. And I remember going from, uh, you know, we used to have those toe strap pedals, you know, you used to have yeah, to reach yeah. down and, and then, you know, we had the clipless pedals come in. Everything was happening. It was like this, this, this new era of sport and you kind of felt like you were, you were part of something really special and, and really new. So there was that excitement and then a bit like you, I had a local triathlon club that just started up in sort of 88, 89 and, and we all just sort of would meet for, for swims, bikes and runs and then go away to these amazing events like up to the, the Noosa Triathlon or out, out back of Sydney to the Nepean Triathlon and all these things were just such adventures, you know, and it was, it was almost like an excuse to, as an adult, to be doing like an obstacle course racing. It was like this, I just want to go out and play and be an idiot and, and, and now I'm allowed to do it. And then suddenly somebody starts to give you a check. When was that for you? When did you kind of go, okay, I'm passionate about this sport. Hang on, I'm actually pretty good at this. You know, this this could be my 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 thing. And 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 at what point then did you go, okay, I'm good at this. Now I'm going to go all in and and really give it everything I've got. I mean, that's I think that's um one of the great things in our sport is success does not happen overnight you know i mean you grow into into the the whole idea of being a professional um it's not something that happens like this where you shoot the golden goal at the soccer world cup or something like that and, mm. and you be a, be a hero or something like that it's not it's not like that in our sport i think it takes a very long time and for me um I think between 2003 and 2006, um, I've been in the in the like not in a national squad, but like a s state squad, um, pretty pretty early early on. But I've never been <laughs> a good swimmer, and I've um, I've never been a, a huge talent in swimming. And of course, um, back then, um, yeah, triathlon became Olympic in in the in 2000 in Sydney. And of course, all the founding and everything uh, um, was just about, yeah, triathlon um, being a, an Olympic sport. And in 2006, I won the under um, 23 German championships, and I qualified for for Lausanne for the for the world championships um, in 2006. But I knew that I wouldn't have like even the smallest chance to yeah to be in the top 10 or even the top 20 because my swimming was just way too weak so uh, i decided to to not accept the the slot and then the next year i raced uh in in 70.3 in switzerland 
and I ended up being third place there. And mm-hmm. so that was sort of the the start. But at the same time, we always had a really really strong um, non drafting uh, um, race series in our in our region with um, yeah pretty uh, pretty tough uh, bike horses and also some prize money there and um all the good guys in germany back then were also racing the series and i was like so motivated always to perform well at these races because you had the chance to you know race against guys like timo bracht norm stadler uh, lothar leder and so on but of course for them they these races were preparation races or build build up races training races and for me it was the the main races of the whole year because i can make a thousand bucks at one of these races and back then it was a shit lot of money for me and so i was but i was still studying at that time and um i didn't really believe too much that i would be uh, able to yeah to really make a living with the sport but then after uh, i think 2009 um i won uh, 70.3 in wiesbaden and the next year i got 2007 i wasn't even allowed to race there they had 12 athletes 12 professional athletes back then and they told me the field is full i would not be able to race there and two years later i got 12,000 um uh, euros appearance money to just be in the field <laughs> and i was I mean, I felt like like a king. <laughs> of course. I, I thought like, wow, this is the hardest way to make an easy living. <laughs> uh, isn't it funny, though, how it comes in waves like that? And a bit like you, I remember, God, what was it? I was working at a restaurant chain called Sizzler for Americans and Australians. They might know it. I'm not sure if Sizzler made it to the uh, to Europe. But oh. basically, it's one of those big American chains. And it was and I know Chris McCormack worked there, Andrew Johns, another triathlon. Don't remember. I don't know if you know Andrew Johns from the UK. But anyway, we all would work at Sizzler. And, and um, I went and did this Australian duathlon cup out the back of Sydney. And I remember winning it and getting $1,500 cash. And I was like, whoa. It was like 10 weeks work at Sizzler because I was just working yeah. at Sizzler, you know, two or three days a week. And it was like, because like you, I was studying and and it was like, whoa. I was like, I kind of like this. I, I I think I should really give this triathlon thing a, a, a really good go because this is this is not a bad way to make money. And then obviously, you know, you make those decisions and then you have years of injury and you have all the other bits that go with it. Um, and finally, you win a big, big race and everyone's like, oh, you you've just, you know, it's time for you to retire. You're like, I just got here. I've been trying for 10 years to finally make it. But your progression was a fa- fairly rapid once you decided to commit to the non-drafting and the half Ironman format because, you know, you won the 70.3 world title by 2012. You know, you were 28 years of age um, at the time or 20, 29. I mean, you had those big wins like in the German 70.3, like you mentioned in 2009, but that next progression was really quite outstanding um, getting to 2012. Did that, when you won that race in 2012, was that a surprise? Did you did you kind of feel like, I don't know if I should belong here? Did, or how did that feel for you, winning that first world title? Yeah, it was a huge surprise, 100%. I mean, uh, um, back then the field was, was super stacked and like a lot of the guys 
um, to switch over from uh, uh, from short course and uh, I mean I we just touched on on numbers and just like from my pure running speed I, I looked at the the start list and I mean there were 10 10 guys and they c- can all run like 30 minute flat on 10k and I know I'm at least 50 seconds slower than than them and I lose another at least three minutes in the swim so just mathematically it's impossible to to beat these guys and but that's how racing goes you know it's not it's not mass and um yeah so of course i i think i i not only surprised myself but a, a lot of the the other people as well i knew what i was capable of of course you know late racing in germany at that time we had a lot of strong athletes and, and it's it wasn't like today where you have 170.2 races all over the world you you just had probably like these iconic six or seven races in the world and when you when you would would have been able to win one of of those races you knew you're going to have a chance even in a world championship but but it's it's something different to to believe you might have a chance and then to really win win a title and yeah looking back i i think um it was probably even stupid to not race there in 2011 because in 2011 i think i was in even even better shape but I felt sort of burned out at the end of the year and I didn't really believe that I have a chance. And, um, you know, I raced in uh, in um, uh, Clearwater. That, that was the first world championship I raced in, I think, in 2010, where the year where when Terenzo won uh, the title. And I became, I think, 11th place back then. And I... I made an agreement also with my wife that uh, I only will go back there if I have a chance to at least make the podium or something like that. Because for us, it was also a huge investment to just travel there and uh, then, you know, 11th place, <laughs> you make a, a good minus on that trip. And so, um, yeah, I think I, I, I thought I had had a chance, but you never know because um, you have a lot of different things in your head, and some of them are just dreams. And you know, then one day uh, you have a race, and you realize, oh, it was a nice dream, but it's not the reality. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, of course as a as a as an athlete and the in the, in the absolutely uh, world class, you have to sometimes just believe you will be able to do things nobody else believes you can do you know i mean sometimes you have to be that um you know fanatic about your own performance that probably a lot of the the people outside on the outside think that you are you're just a little bit crazy but um of course it's amazing uh when you when you do do a race like that and you <laughs> mm. you basically make the dream reality just a quick mini break before we get back to the show i just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash greg sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of 79 dollars added value that's athleticgreens.com forward slash greg 
what was extraordinary is, you know, you had that win and then to back it up again the following year, would you say it was enjoyable the second time around or it was even more enjoyable because it was uh, – tell me about the different two experiences of winning back-to-back world titles because um, defending a title is often quite hard compared to winning it for the first time. 100%. I mean – both both races had something really special you know i mean winning a race for the first time or winning a world championship or or a title that big of a title for the first time is something absolutely amazing especially if you don't really believe you are able to do that or if you surprise yourself after after that after you 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 won one of these titles you're always gonna be measured, and you measure yourself um, because of that title. You know, I mean, if you become third place the next year, not a success anymore. You know, mm. I mean, that's the problem. You you climb to the very highest step, and as somebody who's used to always improve, it's very difficult. If you're at the very top, there's not nowhere to go. You know, the only way is down, and that's something you're going to realize when you stand at the top and you look down and then you realize like, oh, <laughs> cool. Um, now nothing gives you the satisfaction anymore um, than winning the race, you know. So therefore, I have so much respect for the people, also like Jan, for example, who who's performing at that level for such a long time because everything else than a, and a victory is just losing, you know. And um, so that was the first time I... You know, I never had this feeling towing the start line that I'm afraid to lose. You know, I always wanted to win, but not because I was afraid to lose. And the next year in 2012 in Vegas, um, I went there and I realized it's a total different different feeling because everything else than a win is now not not as good anymore. And a lot of people also, you know, from the outside said like, oh, yeah, that's, he surprised everybody and it, it was more or less an accident and they let him ride away because they didn't know and blah, blah, blah. I know Jan said before the race in the, in the, in the interview that I'm just a one-trick pony. And <laughs> so, of course, the second year was even a, a huge... Um, a, a huge thing for me because I proved that I will be uh, or that I'm able to to do exactly the same thing again, just like copy and paste from the last year, where everybody said like, "Oh yeah, they just let him ride ride away by accident," and then I just did it uh, the same way the next year. So yeah, it was definitely fulfilling, um, and it was also a little bit of a relief to to be able to prove myself that it wasn't an accident. Mm. It's almost like a little bit the first year was for yourself and the second year was like, see everybody else? I can't do it. It's like, shut up. (laughs) Yeah. I would not deny that. I mean, I know a lot of people that always tell you this bullshit. I'll do that for myself and I don't look at the others and I don't care what other people say. It's all bullshit. Of course, I know what all the other people say. And of course, Mm -hmm. I care what all the other people say, especially if they are people I want to listen to because they earned themselves a reputation. And I mean, that's something that 
that has a lot of value for me is to be respected amongst the other the other athletes and of course you you can earn the respect and lose the respect in a lot of different ways but to say that you don't care is in my opinion most of the times just a lie no i agree totally i mean i think one of the greatest things to get in any sport is your respect from your peers and people that you respect in turn it's like a I don't think there's many better compliments to actually get. There's there's one thing to win a race, but there's another one when the guys that you raced actually respect you and think you're doing something extraordinary. And even even if it's not for your whole career, even if it's just one race or it's a number of races, it's uh, yeah, I, I think you're lying if you don't admit that that's something very very special. Um, and I love just how honest and candid you are about about all that because I think it is it is something that that fuels us and, and drives us. Um, that much you mentioned a while back i just want to touch on this and I, I missed it before is when you were racing in germany you got to race the best often and, and i look back at my career in australia and you know in the 90s we had the grand prix racing we had tons of professional racing i got to race the best in the world every weekend often three times in a weekend because i was super sprint racing that effect on your career going forward do you still go back to those races now and race some of the young germans because it seems to me looking at the germans there seems to be a bit of a dominance on especially in the the longer distance racing with yourself jan Fredino and, and patrick langer who have all won kona the last what is it six seven years it's been german dominance but do you go back and now sort of race the new young german kids and do you think that that's a valuable way going forward for for the sport to grow I I try to I mean you know how tight the schedule is now and of mm. course uh, unfortunately some of the of these races are not you know not happening in in the media and there's so many more races um, nowadays on the on the schedule um, than back then when I when I used to race them and of course then at the next thing is it just you know, racing a long course race just takes that much toll. You just need to uh, more time to recover. And so it's not that easy. But of course, I try to to do that. And some of the races are still my, uh, some of my absolutely favorite races, like Heidelberg Man, for example. <laughs> Heidelberg uh, Man? <laughs> yeah. It's, if yeah. you ever have a chance, um, uh, for all the, the listeners who, who mm. are in Wolf and Triathlon in Germany, um of course this year unfortunately it's not gonna happen but um for sure next year again and it's a it's a very iconic race and mm -hmm. if you have a chance it's i think always in uh in uh, uh mid mid june or start of july and just google it and then you'll you'll find it's it's a it's a special race and i think um it's still still a good place for for the um for the younger athletes to cut their teeth and and learn um yeah and learn how to uh, to be better in the sport because it's still it's easy to to travel to you know it's easy to to access it's not like you don't have to be in a hotel for half a week or mm. you know um arrive by plane and whatsoever so it's it's easy but then at the same time i think now they're there's so many good ways to to develop as an athlete when you're in the in the WTS series or in 
non-drafting ITU, I would recommend every athlete to try to go that path and try to to be a good non-drafting athlete. And then, you know, cycling is most of the times, unfortunately, not the biggest um, problem to uh, to be good at and to, to learn. Um, but swimming and running, you you have to develop when you are young. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something I definitely missed out in my careers that I, I've never been able to go to the Olympics. And I, so every young athlete who asked me for advice, I would, would say like try to to go that path and be uh, be as fast as possible when you're young and then you can still still go to the to the long course um yeah so that that's interesting though it's funny you i don't think any professional athlete retires hitting everything they wanted to hit you know I, yeah, sure. I've, I've had you know javier gomez on the show and you know nine-time world champion but still only a silver medal at the Olympics, you know, and he wants that gold medal and he hasn't won Kona. And, you know, Alistair Brownlee hasn't won Kona, but he's got two Olympic gold medals. And uh, it was funny. I remember training with a friend of mine, Peter Robinson, who was a three-time ITU world champion, and we were on the Olympic team together in 2004. And at the time, I was kind of known as Mr. Consistency. I was I was winning World Cups, and when I wasn't winning, I was somewhat on the podium. So I was kind of just that consistent. I won the World Series in 02 and 03. Long story short, I was running with him before the Olympics, and I, I'm like, oh, man, I just love one of those world titles you got. He goes, Greg, I'd love to just – I've never won a World Cup. He's like, I've only ever won the World Championships. They're the only three races I've ever won. He, he goes, I wish I could be more consistent. And I remember breaking out laughing, just going, oh, my God, listen to us. You know, we're, we're doing very well. We've had pretty good, you know, pretty good knock and, and we should be pretty happy. But there's this kind of this fuel in you that's like, I want more. I need more. You know, it's this addiction that we all have. And of course, otherwise, I, I think if you don't have that, you, you stop improving. If you wake up in the morning and say like, whoa, I'm the best in the world. I've achieved everything I want. Why do you want to get your ass off the bed and, That's true. and start, start working, right? I mean, it's, yeah. most of the times I work because I'm not happy, you know? I mean, uh, when I do like serious training, it's most of the times because I want to be better at it and I, I know I need to be better at it. It's not because I'm happy with something, you know? I mean... That's always the thing is um, I would not say a happy athlete is uh, a weak athlete or not a good athlete or something like that. Of course, you need to be happy because a lot of people, they always think if they if they achieve this goal and if they win that race, they will be happy. But that's not the case. It's not like the heaven's gate opens if you win that title and your whole life changes. No, it's not. It's not the case. Like for sure not. But um so therefore i think you of course in in generally you need to love what you do otherwise you would not be able to do it long enough to be good at it but at the same time you always need to be a little bit unhappy and a little bit angry about something <laughs> otherwise it's not i think it's not you're not continue to to improve but it's always a balance yeah i love that you know it's funny you're like a a contrast between Chris McCormack, who I had on the show that said, you know, I always, I was angry. I was angry all the time. And yet I roomed with Chris McCormack at 
most of my races in the late 90s and early noughties. And you know, you know Maka well as well. And probably one of the happiest guys on the outside you could ever meet. But he loves to put, oh, I race angry and I'm always angry. I'm like, okay, okay. And then Mark Allen was on the show, who you might know, six-time Ironman world champion. Well, you do know. but um, And he's Riddle. like, Greg, I, I, I really focused on love. Uh, and love was my sort of and, and being neutral in the mind. It wasn't so much about being happy, but it was about love. And so you have these differing kinds of personalities uh, that make these champion athletes tick. That I think the one thing that I've realized doing this this podcast show is that consistency is the one word that everybody drops. If you want to be great, you've got to be consistent. And the other one is this intent in which each person is living, that they're prepared to do what it takes to try and be the greatest with absolute intent. And that's what's coming across in this conversation with you. You're saying, look, I I may not be happy all the time, but I'm living my life with absolute intent and purpose. And, and that's what I want to lead into now, which to me was probably so far in your career because I still think you've got many more years to go, but 2014. And 2014, for people that don't know, is the year that you won the – European Ironman Championships, you won the 70.3. No, you didn't win 70.3 that year, but you won the Kona World Championships for the first time. So you went back to back. I don't know if that had been done before because everyone says, oh, you can't win in July if you want to win in uh, October. But you won the European and the world title for the Ironman in the one year. Tell me about that year and what that meant to you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you already uh, said the... One of the important things is um, back then everybody tried to to convince me that it's not possible to be good in July and be able, you know, to to win uh, Frankfurt in uh, in that um, yeah in that competition and um, and then be again in in top shape uh, in October to win to win Hawaii and um, and. It, yeah, it it not have been been done before 2014. So, of course, I think it's always <laughs> it's always interesting uh, if somebody has not done done something before you. I think it's always more difficult to to do something like that because, yeah, you think about probably it is right. Probably it's not possible to be in peak shape two times. Um, in a year and win a win a Ironman at that that level, but you know after me, <laughs> I think Jan did that twice, and so a lot of people actually performed really really well in July and then in October. So sometimes just somebody has to do it for the first time, and then then the critics are proven wrong, and then a lot of people realize, oh, it's actually probably not a bad idea to be in a good shape in in European summer and you can still be in an even better shape in October. But to be honest, um, arriving uh, in Kona that year, 2014, I had a really, really bad result in uh, um, Mont-Tremblant. I was in absolutely top shape going to, to Canada. And, you know, 2013... I won the second title in Las Vegas 70.3 World Championships. And then in 2014, Javi Gomez was there and Jan was back there. And, um, and you know, everybody said like, yeah, but this year you don't have a chance. And so it was the same story all over and I was super motivated. 
And I had a horrible race. I think the worst race I've ever had because I didn't see it coming at all. I mean, I had a, a lot of average races or not that good races, but I knew before the start, you're not in the best shape. So I didn't expect too much. But going into that race, I, I thought I, I definitely have a chance. Like I'm in really good shape. And then it was absolutely disaster. And so... The two years before, um, I was flying to Hawaii and I was in, you know, in the highest mood possible, you know, cloud number nine um, after winning um, consecutive uh, 70.3 World Championships. I felt like I'm in absolutely top shape and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win Kona this year. Um, and then 2014, it was the whole the whole different story i was doubting myself and oh, i had one week where i was just sleeping three four hours a night it was horrible and so the week before the race i actually even checked flights um back home and wow. like on tuesday <laughs> before the Wow. For the race, I actually thought like I mean I had this long chat with my coach and I I I, I mean I I told him I can't do it. It's I'm we we had to quit at least like four or five very important training sessions and I don't know. I mean it was it was really crazy. But then like I think I had so little expectations before the race that I was really relaxed and really calm, you know. And that's also something that can be quite beneficial i see a lot of athletes who think they're prepared really well and then they expect a lot from themselves in the race and then they they really break down because of their own expectations and then you see athletes they have been injured they have been ill they have been sick whatever and uh, they have a lot of excuses ready in case they <laughs> mm. um, uh, they don't succeed and then and then they are quite relaxed because they know they have the bag of excuses ready if it's not good <laughs> and then and then they perform really really well so i think that was just kind of a this phenomenon where um the shape was there it was just hiding you know <laughs> mm, <laughs> waiting mm. for race day to come out and not on on any normal training day but um i was just relaxed enough and i mean you know you know how it is, especially in Hawaii, it's often a waiting game. And if you have a lot of expectations and you think you're really, really fit, sometimes you can't wait. You know, you, you want to go hard early and everything feels easy for, for the first like six hours of the race and then you're going to die. But on that day, I was just pretty relaxed more or less. And yeah, I was, I think I was just mentally free. <laughs> I love that and I, you've touched on such a critical point and that is of expectations and being free of that kind of expectations and and one of the things when I first met my wife Laura back in 2000 and I'd grown up in the sport where it was live television and you know we were kind of rock stars in Australia you know we had the the Grand Prix down there and you know I was kind of thrust into the sport that I thought people really cared about me and, and one of the things Laura I never forget it she said Greg nobody cares about you I was like, what? You know, my, my, I was almost a little bit hurt. And then I was like, she said, no, look, they'll care when you're directly talking to you, or, but then they've got their own shit and everybody's moving on to their own problems and life goes on. Nobody truly is caring about you as much as you actually think. And as much as it sounded quite harsh to hear it, it was really quite 
freeing. And I often laugh, even doing these podcast shows, I, I say to myself before, before the start, look, nobody's listening, mum maybe, but, and, 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 and there's an expectation to just relax and see where the show goes. You know, it takes this, this heavy weight of any kind of like trying to make something happen that it's kind of like, no, we perform best when we can remove that expectation. And I had Helen Jenkins, who I've mentioned already, but she says when she won the world title in 2008, She'd made the Olympic team that year um, after a lot of work and finally made it. And then the, the British just wanted her to go to Vancouver because they needed to try and earn a third spot for the team. So for her, she was like, oh, okay, I'll go do it. So she didn't go there trying to win or do anything. She was just kind of like, look, okay, we'll see if we can get some more points for the British team. Boom, away she she takes the break with Sarah Haskins and, and goes off for the win. And because she even said there was no expectation, I felt like I'd, I could race free. You know, there was none of that. And even last year at the Kona Ironman World World Championships, you know, our good friend Timothy O'Donnell going in pretty badly injured, um, you know, with a broken metatarsal in his foot, a broken bone, um, and and couldn't run for probably a good six weeks before, done a little bit of aqua jogging and all sorts of bits and pieces. And I remember talking to him the night before the race and he's like, I just said, well, just go see what happens, you know, and he had this attitude of, yeah, I'll just swim bike as hard as I can and then I'll I'll go for a run and see what happens. And here he gets his best result ever and he, he came second to probably Jan Fudino set a, for people that don't know, 2019, Jan Fudino set a course record in Kona and probably one of the greatest Ironman performances we've all seen for a while and, you know, in seven hours, 51 or whatever it was. And and then you were, you were third. But my point is with all of that is, how do we get to that point before every race of just freeing expectation? Um, yeah. And that's what we need to work on. And you obviously did that to great success in 2014. You rode off the front and you just put together a magnificent – I think that, that 2014 was like we could see that you were – I think you run it in like a 251 marathon or something. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you backed it up with a really amazing run as well. Yeah, I think um, uh, what I learned from from that year is exactly that. Try to uh, to uh, to get the right balance, because on the other hand, I also know that I need like some sort of um, uh, stress and some sort of like it's it's an extra motivation. Like it it makes me it makes me uh, feel sharp and uh, and ready to attack if there are you know expectations from myself and uh also from the from the outside and uh um also to i mean i i know um this the strategy of of you know telling myself like when i was studying i said like well if you don't succeed it doesn't really matter even if you know like oh it actually really matters but <laughs> i try to to convince myself that it doesn't matter um but but um, uh, for me, it's I want to to be just in the middle, um, you know, where before the start I just try to float on my back in the in the in the ocean and and smile and tell myself, hey, you you do what you love and you're you're exactly where you want to be and um, mm. you, you know you to just like to find that right balance between on the one hand side, oh, if you don't succeed, you know, your mom's mm loves you and my wife luckily <laughs> still loves me if I if I don't win the race. But at the same time, um I want to be uh you know a little bit te- um I want to feel the intensity of the 
of the race and I want to convince myself that it's something really important mm-hmm. what I what I do. And I th- I think so it's like with everything um we talked about, it's always about finding the right balance and um yeah. I love I that. Know. It's the finding the balance between having expectations and wanting it so much to going quietening the mind and and that's why i love with the mark allen episode where he was like look my whole job when i was visualizing which i want to get to in a bit about but he was saying look it wasn't about foreseeing something amazing the whole thing that i always just worked on was just quietening the mind so i'd be ready for opportunity to, to happen but and the thing is when you have this this these big expectations i'll never forget 2007 when i had to win the fifth race to win this big pies check and everything in dallas and i remember just saying to myself I have to win. It's not a choice. This isn't a choice. So no matter what pain I'm in, I just have to embrace the struggle and don't panic. You know, I I have, and I remember just being on the start line and saying to myself, this is the most alive I have ever, ever felt. Like it wasn't, it wasn't nervousness. It was excitement. And I felt truly alive and I was ready for the ultimate fight. And so there, there is, there's that balancing it between being so excited, but then stepping back and finding calm. Yeah, so it is, I love that. It, it is. It's trying to trying to balance it completely. And I want to just move on a little bit because you've mentioned your wife a few times, um, Christina. Christina, correct? Is that how I pronounce it? Yeah. Tell me about the relationships that you have in your life with your team and and the special people around you that are allowing you to do and achieve the success that you've had over well twelve. 12 years where you've you know we you know you, you touched on yarn being one of the best for a long long time well mate you you've been in the top one or two for probably a good 10 years now tell me about that team that you've built around you especially your wife and and your family and and, and then your team of experts as well yeah obviously my my wife is for sure the most most important um part of it all and uh uh yeah i've been fortunate enough to to meet her um and the spanish have a saying cada oveja con su pareja it means something like one sheep likes to find another sheep <laughs> or something like that so um it's we meet at a local running race uh waiting for award ceremony so um Whenever we have to wait for awards, and I mean, you know how it is. You also probably waited a couple of hundred hours in your life for award ceremonies. Um, Now I always have to smile and say, like, good things happen when you wait for award ceremonies. Um, Yeah, and so so she she was a steeple chaser and in the German national squad. And so, therefore, she's a really good runner, and yeah, she uh, she's still doing eighty five percent of my my running training with me, and I think that's that's something super nice, you know. And on the one hand side, she had a real job, like <laughs> in the real world, a real job, which is I think really important because if you if you are in this professional sports bubble, like you, like you said, when Laura told you nobody really cares, it's it's important to still have that link to the, let's say, normal world and um, realize how fortunate you are to to be able to do that. And because sometimes you just forget, you sometimes you start to complain and 
just like you said, com uh, complain less, do more. It's sometimes you need to compare yourself to to the hardworking normal people out there, and then you realize, hey, it's actually not that bad <laughs> what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that was was definitely helpful. And uh, at the same time, she 100% she understands what it's uh, what it's all about in the sport. And now she's. Um, She's still a big part in, in my team. She's um, helping me a lot with all sponsorship and uh, traveling uh, organization and uh, social media stuff. Um, uh, and that's, that's really helpful. Uh, the, next, um, the next one up in the, <laughs> in the system is my former coach, Luba Spielek. He coached me for 12 years. So I've been with him for a very long time and um yeah a lot of the the success i had he was he was with me and um and now since um yeah two years now um i'm coached by philip seib the young german guy and i know him for a very long time so we raced in the same uh, bundesliga team in the same german triathlon league team and uh yeah so it it was a fantastic uh change um I, I made uh, there. It's not that Lubos uh, was not a good coach anymore or whatsoever, but at one point you you need to uh, to change something after 12 years. Um, I think I learned everything I could. And so this is uh, something really, uh, really good for me now. And then obviously uh, my, uh, my manager, Ronnie Schildknecht, uh, a lot of the People in triathlon know know who who he is. And we didn't know Ronnie was managing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I know. <laughs> I raced with him for for a long time. He's also a, a friend. He knows the sport very well, but he's also, I would say, a good businessman. And you know, he's from from Switzerland, and he has this like calm and collected uh, mindset. And it's always uh, balancing for me. And um, uh, he is with me uh, in the most of the important races and yeah so he's uh and he's one of the few guys um where i can uh, um sit on the co-driver's seat and let him steer the wheel because usually i get very nervous if other people drive the car so that's important that there's somebody um where i can relax on the um and not drive the car for seven hours from whatever Livigno to uh, Nice. Oh, you're world. being literal. I thought you were using that as a metaphor for something, but you're being literal. <laughs> literally, literally. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. Go on, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, of course, there are there are more people. My my physiotherapist Gregor, who is also a good friend, and. Uh, and then obviously still my my parents it's it's still a lot of uh different people my mechanic um uh, mika um he is he is very important for me um he's uh with yeah really uh, supporting me for a very long time and also a good friend so of course even if the sport is a really um ego centric um sport and at the end it's always just one person's who crossed the finish line it's usually uh, you have to have a very good team around you and um, sometimes it it takes years to uh, 
yeah to find the the right people and then i usually stick with them <laughs> yeah well it sounds like you're very i mean you stayed with the one, one coach for for 12 years and i mean change is always scary and a bit difficult and and uh it's like you can have a great relationship with a coach um but i've also told a lot of athletes look it's if you treat each coach almost like getting a degree, like once you've spent that four to five years or, I mean, you don't need to put a time number on it, but once you've spent that time and you've learned everything you can from that person, sometimes it is just good to change and have a change of scenery and do a different degree. And and I almost looked at it as in my career, it was almost like I had these sort of four-year increments where where I progressed with different coaches. And when I felt like they'd run their course and I'd learned what I had off them, it was time to move on to the point when I was – I think a uh, 32 kind of thing. I started coaching myself and, and Laura and I sort of worked together and we had consultants. So I never felt alone, but it was like you get to that point where you know yourself and, 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 and you've got to move on. And just, you mentioned Ronnie Shrishnik. Um, for people that don't know, Ronnie was a, a very capable Ironman athlete on his own, right? I think he had a fourth at Kona Ironman world champs, or maybe he did better yeah. than that, yeah. but he won. But he, I- he won uh, nine consecutive um, uh, Ironman yeah. Switzerland. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, Ironman what- uh, who an athlete ever won in one stretch. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just one of the nicest people you could meet. So you're very fortunate to have him in your team, and and your wife Christina. The the work she's I know she's helping you a lot with the marketing and things and. Your YouTube channel has been a lot of fun to watch and, and she does an incredible job with all of that as well. So you're very f- fortunate to have this strong team around you and obviously her family and your family. Um, and it's one of the things that when we work with a lot of um, athletes these days and we just consult, we don't coach so much, but first thing we try to do is let's build your team around you and, and let's get people on board as much as we can. And I mean, a lot of them are executives and corporates now and, and they, oh, how, how much time have you got to train? And they say, oh, I've got 15 to 20 hours. I'm like, well, hang on, let's go talk to your family about that because they're going to be a part of this whole team. And I talk to the wife or, or the partner and they say, oh, you know, he's probably got, she's got five hours, doesn't have 15 to 20. So it's good to have that whole team involved. <laughs> um, uh, we've touched a lot on uh, one of the things I'm really enjoying about this chat is is your mental approach. Um, and you said your dad was a psychologist, so it might might add to it all. But do you do any sort of specific visualizing and, or word affirmations? Or, you know, you, you seem to have this real strength of you know who you are and you really know what you want. Is that worked on or is that just something that's in you? Huh. I mean, uh, I think it's, it developed over, over the years. That's uh, what, I, what I meant when I said you, you not become a champion overnight in our sport. It's, it's, um, you grow your potential and you hopefully also grow your, your mindset and what you, um, what you learn about yourself. I mean... I don't know who who that was who said um, uh, during an Ironman you you're gonna be able to to take a look in your to your soul. Not everybody lost what um, uh, he sees, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that it's it's true. If you um, if you allow yourself to uh, you know to learn something about yourself, then you will definitely learn a lot about yourself in in the sport and. Uh, but you have to be honest to yourself, and I think that's something really difficult. Um, it's you know, 
it's all also there it's it's a balance because most of the times you basically learn how to to trick your mind and how to cheat basically cheat yourself because you're constantly telling yourself lies like oh it's the last one it's the last set um for the day it's the last um uh, repetition of this uh, swim set it's the last day in in uh, in the block and uh, it's you know the last race of the year and and so on and so on and so on but it's not you know there will be always a next <laughs> and and also i mean the saying is true it never gets easier but if you're good you probably get faster and that's the thing like the pain is always the same so of course you learn to to how to to fool your your mind and how to convince yourself that this is actually something super nice to do and so on but at the same time you need to be also be honest to yourself and uh, and try to to discover what you what you really want because at the end you it's it's your free will it's your free will to do an ironman or or run a marathon in 35 degree heat and and something like that so if you're not if you're not honest to yourself i think if the body becomes weaker and weaker during a race it's more and more difficult to hold back and hold back like the bad thoughts and the the, the dark um, ideas and so that's that's the reason why a lot of people crack because they they learned how to trick themselves and then they realize during a race it actually doesn't work anymore and um yeah so therefore i think it's uh that answer your question <laughs> no um, i think it's a uh, it's a it's a progress it's a um that that you are in and um yeah you either develop or you you probably don't develop and i mean there's a lot of different sorts of athletes so it's it's difficult to to speak for all of them and i think we're all different it's funny i think there's almost this I think we, to some degree, can enjoy, enjoy maybe it's not the right word, but embrace the the struggle that we talk about, that it's almost like, you know, one of the things I miss about that that peak shape that you're still in and, and that going out and somewhat punishing yourself is there's this real, when you can overcome the struggle and you get to the other end, there's this tremendous joy yeah. and there's this real rush that you get. I mean, these days what I'm doing now is I, I go to the backyard pool that's here and it's not very long. It's about 12 meters and I'm just swimming underwater as far as I can. And I'm just working at embracing that struggle and trying not to panic and going as far and quietening the mind and just seeing how much of it's mental versus physical. But it, for me, it's a bit of self-experimentation, but I'm also loving the day. I get up at, you know, five in the morning and I get I go for a little run walk with Laura and, and then my morning routine is after that run walk, I go to the pool, I swim a couple laps and then I just start trying to swim as far as I can underwater. And what I'm loving about it is that I start the day with an overwhelmingly tough struggle to overcome and I go as far as I can until, you know, I don't black out. My point is with all of that is 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 that's kind of the mentality that you have in sport. It's like this... I want to know what is just – I want to have a little look over the edge there. I want to see what I can do and, and go beyond where I've been before, and that's either one one more work. Mm. I mean, that I, I think um, maybe uh, maybe I was a little bit too too negative um, 
because you always talk about pain and um, usually the word pain is like linked link with something very negative but it's not like the same pain you experience um, whatever when you have uh, when you're at the dentist or something like that it's not something, <laughs> something negative um, it actually like like you said when you had that feeling um, in 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 your last race in in Dallas um, before uh, you know the the checkpoint it makes you feel alive and that's that's really the thing it makes you feel alive and I think also it makes you enjoy smaller things much more I mean uh, everybody who's listening who's who's doing endurance sports probably can relate when you go out to that ride like five hours six hours and uh, unfortunately this last gas station where you wanted to stop to get a soda or or snickers or whatever is <laughs> already closed and <laughs> you come home and you're like almost like you you're so hungry you're shaking and you're almost blacked out and uh, and then you're gonna then you're gonna have a, a, a sugary drink under the shower i mean i don't have any experience with that but i i always think this must feel like heroin oh it's, totally it's a fully for people that don't know what you're talking about yeah. if you've been to that point of absolute there's many descriptions of it but for american australian listeners bonking where yeah. you're completely bonking and you're absolutely done and you just don't know how you can even move a muscle or anything and just yeah grabbing a mars bar or whatever it is and just consuming it and if you like you said if it's been freezing cold <laughs> and you jump in that warm shower oh man <laughs> this doesn't get any better it's the same thing with like just lying on the couch i mean yeah. it can be the most amazing thing in the world but it can also be something where you get really depressed so for me when i when i'm injured or when i just mm. when i when i've been lazy you know i don't like myself um you know crawling into the bed when i'm not tired from working out you know i i have the feeling i i haven't deserved it you know <laughs> and so therefore i think um that's so when i when i was talking about having pain or trying to cheat yourself um to do another another rep um it's not something negative it's something i want to do because i i know this like super rewarding feeling afterwards and mm. I agree. I, yeah. I mean, I love some of those analogies that you put together. They're perfect. But you, you mentioned a little bit sitting on the couch just then with injuries and things. How's your, how's your body going? Because I know for years you had Achilles and then I know after Kona last year, your hip was a bit sore. You, how are you dealing with all of that at the moment? Really good, actually. Um, I think I've, I'm, I'm now the healthiest I've been in the last like five or six years. And, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, 100% because that's also something you don't really appreciate when you have nothing, when you have no injury because oh. that's just normal. But um, after, I mean, with on and off, but for almost four and a half years, I had pain in my left Achilles and right Achilles. And, and you know, waking up in the morning and just limping to the toilet is... <laughs> Oh, it's, it's the worst, crazy. mate. It's the, the worst. I know exactly. I had plantar fascia and Achilles for so much of my career. It, it just wears on you, doesn't it? You just want to do your job. You're like, come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm like super, uh, super happy, and it's good to 
that you remember me <laughs> that I had all these these problems because sometimes I forget about it and then um, when I when I uh, when it pops up in my mind again I I realize how uh, how fortunate I am right now to be to be able to to train. Of course, I mean injuries is just a part of of the sport in general in triathlon it's not like as bad as this is as it is in in some of the other professional sports i mean being able to have a career with more than two decades in the sport is nearly impossible in all all of the other uh, sports i mean unless you're probably a kicker in football but um in the nfl (laughs) but um, uh, but i think if you were there there are very rare examples of people being in professional sport for such a long time and i think that's uh, something great in our sport that um in general it's a it's a pretty healthy healthy sport (laughs) it's so great when you can go without injury for a little while and and both laura and i always look back and we I remember going for a run before the 2011 high V, which I spoke about earlier, and 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 running right near my house in Boulder, and having no pain anywhere, and just floating and looking down at the Garmin and getting sort of the a, a decent kind of number that was popping up on the screen and going, wow, I this is just an amazing feeling, you know, and it was like nothing's hurting. I remember saying it to myself, nothing's hurting, you know, because it was like, I mean, that was 2011. I started, I was a professional athlete from 1991. So that was 20 years into my career. And it was kind of like, wow, I think I can do something special. You know, it was like, because I feel like both when you're, when you're on the, when you're trying to push as hard as we all do, you're, you're on that knife said, you, you, where is that, where is that injury, not injury you know, line. And, you know, I've had Alistair Brownlee on the show, as I mentioned, and he talks about, yeah, I went over the line just there and there and there, you know, and he's like, but I managed to stay back for both Olympics and hit those right. And then yeah. like, we're all, we're all just trying to manage it. And even Jan Fredino, you know, as much as you said, you know, he's having an amazing block in his career right now. Well, geez, he's had to overcome so many injuries as well. And we just, it's this constant, and I think sometimes that helps as well when you feel like you're the only one that's injured. So like, hang on, there's a lot of guys out there all just trying to manage, and they're all doing it because they're all pushing that knife edge so hard. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think um, if you never ever had an injury, you probably never pushed hard enough. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Also, also true because most of the times, I mean, there's no. There's no heads up. There's no warning like, oh, you're going to be injured in a month from now. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, we, we talked a lot about balance. And I think at the one, on the one hand side in our sport, you have to be able to, to, be able to, to do a nap when a nuke explodes next to you. you know? I mean, you, your whole body during a race screams like, stop, stop, stop. Don't do this to me and um but you want to push harder and i mean that's that's the most rewarding feeling when when you when you overcome that moment where you where you think you want to stop i'm i mean the uh, uh, ironman race is is basically the whole reason why you do that is actually because you want to have that moment where you want to stop it's that's the only thing if you overcome that mo- come that moment that's that what makes it feel special at the end Mm. At the same time, you have to be able to, I don't know if you have that saying, hear the grass grow, 
like you have to be able to listen to your body very very carefully and and figure out like is this too much um am i sleeping right is that training how is that training effect has an effect on me uh, and so on and so on and so on so it's it's that balance between ignoring like all the signals you get from your body and at the same time listen very closely to all the signals you get from your your body so it's it's different uh difficult but um i think that's that's important to be able to do on the one hand side ignore pain but and the at the at the same moment you have to be able to listen very carefully and mm. it's not always possible <laughs> well it's it's not always possible because it's amazing how many times you get it's a little niggle and it's just yeah. oh okay and it's gone half an yeah. hour later and okay. another time that little niggle and three months later you're like damn it it was more I'm, than a little niggle <laughs> you stop every time when some something is hurting a little bit <laughs> you're probably not not going very far but at the same time just like you said um one out of a hundred problems you you've been very good with ignoring is developing into a real shit show and then you probably have to take a break for like two months because you you constantly ignored that so that's also also important why you want to have a good team around you because mm. you want to talk to your physio you want to talk to your doc um, about something and then uh, other people sometimes have to make decisions for you it's it, it's definitely helpful mm. mate i've I've kept so much of your time and I and I there are so many other things that I could talk to you about. I mean from your training and nutrition and you know everything else. But I I'm gonna have, just have to have you back on the show at a later date, mate. And and hopefully that's like a pre-Kona special or something that we do in 2020. That'd be amazing. But um whenever Kona happens to come about. But before we go, is there any kind of gear recommendations or anything like that that you want to pitch out there you know it could be recovery nutrition swim bike run whatever it is that people should maybe get on or, or add to whatever they're doing i mean this would be a great chance now to tell everybody that i'm sponsored by this and that company but you know that's a good thing if you reach a certain level in your sport you can make choices when it comes to your sponsors and um, a lot of the products i'm using um I chose to be sponsored from them. It's not that they contacted me and asked me if I want to be sponsored. It's I had the choice. And at one point, I know that it can be so annoying if you know whatever, like there would have been a better bike or there would have been a better tire or whatsoever. And you just signed the contract because it was 5,000 bucks more or whatever. And so quite often... I decide not to take the money, but um, have ha have a good feeling about the the product. So, um, if you hit me up on on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you see you see my partners, and then you know that uh, usually the products I'm using, I I made the choice. <laughs> I, I saw. Um, I, I started recently using Athletic Greens, who have become a sponsor of this podcast, and and you, I, I actually was looking for something that would be really good with this whole you know what is going on in the world i was like you know i really need to work on my immunity i've actually been sick a lot more since retiring from sport than i did yeah. it was amazing it was almost like my my immunity retired at the same time so i was kind of like i need to keep boosting that and i saw you 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 were partnered up with those guys as well right yeah um and you know i've never been a big fan of um 
supplements of any sort because yeah, I you and me thought, both, mate. I was the same. <laughs> uh, and and also just don't make it too complicated, you know. Then you uh, you use like one product, and but this is just covering this and that. And so I love the idea that it's uh, whole food sourced, you know, and that it's basically yeah from a natural natural mm. source. So it's not really a a supplement for me it's just um a very nutrient dense food um that's what i how i look at it and so therefore it's a it's a good ad- addition um to my, my diet especially yeah when you travel a lot it's not always easy to to maintain a, a good diet because you don't always have a choice um when you come to a hotel or whatsoever or you arrive late in the evening uh you can you know prepare a, an a fresh salad or whatsoever so um yeah i think it's 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 a pretty good idea and so far i'm pretty happy with it yeah good man awesome well just before we go any you you do travel a lot any sort of places that people i mean you mentioned the herbergman hypermag you're gonna i'll put it in the show notes i'll have you text it to me um but any other kind of events or training locations that you highly recommend that people should should go check out um i mean there there's so so many but um obviously i think some of them are are getting pretty crowded because it is um nice um but i don't i mean it's not that i want to keep them secret i think um Girona is a really nice place um, if you want to ride a bike. Um, I have to say Xterra World Championships in Maui um, is one still one of my favorite races, even if it really doesn't mean all that much in, in, in the triathlon world. It's no mainstream media covering this event, but it's, it's still something uh, uh, I really enjoy and a race I really enjoy. I would love to, to come back at, at one point and... Um, yeah, there's so so many races out there that I I really love, but I also it's also because you know being connected to the community there. Um, for example, seventy point three in St. George, Utah is is one of my favorite races, mm-hmm. and yeah, maybe now that they have the real schedule, the the long course um, race uh, this year to to autumn, maybe there is a chance to actually. Uh, uh, do the long course race in in St George this year. I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, brutal! For those that don't know, St George, Utah is a spectacular place. And and actually, if you're going to do a a destination race and have a bit of a holiday afterwards, it's, it's just absolutely in that Sion National Park's just amazing part of the world. But but it will be a tough race, <laughs> so don't, make sure you go prepared because it is. Uh, it's got a few hills in it, and uh, I don't know. Is there a little bit of altitude? It might be. I, I'm not sure, but it's definitely. Uh, a- <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not that high. I think it's like eight hundred meters. Um, I don't know what 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 that is, but um, it's you don't really feel the that effect. But it's it's definitely a really tough course. So I recommend to to stay there like three four days after. Uh, give yourself two days rest after the race, and then take a nice hike either in in Zion, um, National Park or 
uh, yeah, the, I mean, this is, it's just an amazing place. So, mm. yeah. All right, mate. Well, how do people follow you? It's just Sebastian Kinley at uh, Instagram. You've got your YouTube channel. Everybody should go subscribe to that because you put out some, your wife's putting out great content for that. Uh, Christina is doing amazing work. You guys are doing incredible motivational videos and all sorts of things there. Um, so Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, you've got your own page. Is that Sebastian Kinley as well? Yes. Perfect, mate. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me, mate. And everybody, thanks for listening. Um, Please subscribe, share. Um, I'd love any of your feedback. Let me know how I'm doing. I appreciate it. And um, mate, stay on the line. I really enjoyed this. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.